This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village, episode number eight. Today, I sat down with someone near and dear to my heart. Um, Actually, before I met her, I had Facebook stalked my husband and thought that she was somebody very different. But as it turns out, she is his cousin, And I love her so dearly. We've become very close. And she's just one of those people I could hang out with on the daily. But today, she and I got to dive into the realities of parenting through grief and trauma and challenge. If you're not in a place to hear about that right now, if you're walking through a journey and this could be triggering for you, I encourage you to hit pause and come back to this at a later time. So she has experienced intense obstacles in life. She is a cancer survivor. She has lost loved ones and she has parented through it all. She walks us through what that looks like, the guilt, the shame, the fears, the anxiety afterward, that it doesn't just go away. Um, and how to respond to your tiny human in those very real moments. I have so much love and respect for her. She is mom goals. She has done such an amazing job. She's raising this really spunky, hilarious three-year-old, and I am in awe of her as a parent and as a person and as a partner and as a friend, and I am so excited to share her and her journey with you today. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. everyone. Today I'm hanging out with someone near and dear to my heart. Actually, before I met her, I thought she was Zach's ex-girlfriend, and I was really confused about why she was the maid of honor in his cousin's wedding. (laughs) It turns out she's also his cousin. Facebook stalking failed me again. Rachel Lounder is a stay-at-home mom to her spunky, hilarious three-year-old, and today we're going to get real and vulnerable as we talk about parenting through challenges. Let's get real. This journey isn't all rainbows and butterflies. There's no pause button on parenting while you go through struggles like grieving lost loved ones, miscarriage, divorce, financial hardship, or physical challenges. Rachel has walked a path with far too many obstacles and is here to dive into the reality of parenting throughout her journey. Rachel, I'm so grateful to you for being here today to open up about such a deep, vulnerable topic. Can you start our listeners off by telling us a little bit about your story and what brought you here today? Yes. Hi. Um, I'm really excited to be here. So my um, story starts 
um, around the time that my daughter was one, I started having some health challenges and over the course of a year and a lot of um, diagnostic procedures and a lot of sort of battling the medical system to get an answer, um, a month before she turned two, I was diagnosed with um, stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I spent the next six months um, undergoing aggressive chemotherapy, um, which I had infusions every two weeks. Um, and I have now been in remission for nine months. Yay. And it's so That's exciting. Nice. I just got all the chills. I feel like I could, like, picture us back in in November. I know. When it all started. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for being here to talk through that today. I know that, I mean, throughout the whole journey, uh, the whole six months, there were definitely challenges throughout that with parenting, but also that there's no way that it just ends at the end of that six months. Right. So. It, it continues. <laughs> exactly. So let's look at, like, what your, I mean, how did that work? What did you do in terms of parenting? I know you're a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. So how did that happen? Um, so I am a stay-at-home mom, and my husband has a very demanding um, job, as is often the case. I think when you're a one-income family, the partner who is working often takes on a really heavy workload um, to make it work. So we actually moved in with my parents. Um, I think we may have tried one treatment. Um, like, we stayed at my parents while I was really, really sick and then tried to go home for the rest of the week. And that was just a total fail because I was just too sick to do any of the physical or emotional parenting. I really couldn't do anything. Um, so we just decided, okay, we're going to move in with my parents. And um, my sister who lives in Texas came up to Maine to help me um, because the beginning of my chemotherapy happened to also be the time of year that my husband is the most busy and my mom is also the most busy in her job. Um, <clears throat> so my sister came up from Texas and we sort of had this system of Cody, my husband would come with me um, to my chemotherapy treatments. And sometimes he would take the next day off too, but most often he would go back to work the next day. And my sister would take over um, taking care of me, like pretty much 100% taking care of me and also taking care of Nora along with her two small children. And, um, she would really kind of have the reins of Nora um, when Cody wasn't around for the first uh, four or five days after treatment. And then I would start kind of coming back to life after that. And we still stayed at my parents, but I was able to take over um, more, be a more active parent for the second week. And then I would have treatment again and we would kind of start it all over again. So amazing that you have such a deep village there yeah, I mean, and even even from afar I, I mean for your sister to come up is such a gift yeah it was it was a huge huge blessing and really I just I'm not sure that I would have been able to do it um without the support it chemo is so intense and there were so many days that I just literally couldn't get out of bed um if Cody had had to take off that much work to take care of me it would have been a huge, huge financial burden to us. So having my parents and my sister who like were totally happy and willing to support us in any way was a huge blessing. It's amazing. Um, I know that family well, and it, it runs deep, that love and village. <laughs> yes, it it's does. pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, so what did like, how, how did Nora respond to this and, and how did, you kind of process uh, your own like cancer diagnosis and also parent at the same time. Yeah. So one of the big things for Nora and I together was that she was still breastfeeding a lot when um, mm. I got the diagnosis. And like I said, she was about to turn two, um, but she was still breastfeeding probably every two hours during the day. Uh, I had night weaned her like four months prior so she was mostly sleeping through the night but daytime was like pretty much nursed her whenever she wanted to um so that was the biggest thing and I mean I was honest with her and tried to explain to her in age-appropriate terms why it was happening but 
um, you know, it was kind of tricky because she was not even two yet, and I wasn't sure how much she could really understand, and it felt like, it felt cruel to just all of a sudden go from nursing her whenever she wanted to weaning her over the course of a week. Um, So that was a really difficult and heart-wrenching part of preparing to start treatment um, because I felt like I was betraying her and I also felt like a huge piece of my identity as a mother was being taken. Um, Mm. And, you know, now I'm a year out from diagnosis and I'm I over a year out from diagnosis and I realize now that our relationship has changed and nursing doesn't have to be the center of it. But in that time period, it was a big, big part of how we interacted as mother and child. And that was probably the hardest part for me. Um, and then once we kind of got over that hurdle and I started treatment, the other big piece of that was she had gone from being with me like 90% of the time to being with Cody. Like if she woke up during the night, it was always Cody that um, would like tend to her because I was too sick and weak to do that. And that was something that I had always done because I was breastfeeding. Um, So that was a big adjustment. And then also during the day, you know, we moved out of our home into my parents' home and it changed from me taking care of her pretty much all the time to somebody else taking care of her at least half the time. Um, So those were big adjustments and we saw that stress kind of manifest in her behavior. Um, There were some behavioral challenges during that time with her that, you know, my mom, my sister and my husband and I sort of tackled together. We talked about why it was happening, how we could help her without shaming her. Um, so kind of once we started getting a grip on how to better support her, it got easier. But the first couple of months of treatment were really hard for her. Yeah, I'm sure it's a lot of a lot of changes. Just yes. listening to that and was, was thinking about like, I can't imagine receiving a cancer diagnosis. You know, sans kids, just solo, can't imagine it. And then for you to have received a diagnosis, be going through chemo, and to be sitting there having conversations about another human and how to best support them, it's just mind-blowing to me. Like, you're you're so amazing. Uh, Well, I I feel like any mom would probably feel that way when, I, I mean, for me, when I started thinking, like, okay, there's a chance that I might die, um, my first thought was like, okay, what's going to happen to Nora? Like, what is my child going to do without her mother? And I think that for any parent, not just a mother, but for any parent who is, you know, having a big struggle, possibly facing their own mortality, your heart just goes right to your child. Like, okay, what can I do to make this easiest for them? Yeah. Wow. Whew. Uh, that's real. Uh, mm-hmm. That got me. I'm teary. It's fine. Uh, well, what, yeah, it's so intense you for sure. It's so intense. I mean, there's so many things to take into account, and and I think for most people, it's not uh, necessarily a cancer diagnosis, um, but that there's always going to be something, whether it's a lost loved one or anything that you're experiencing. Right. Life brings so many different challenges, um, and all of that affects the way that you interact with your child. Yeah. So how did you kind of like go through your own grieving and processing while also being a parent? Yes. So I tried at first, I tried to like not grieve in front of her because I didn't want to traumatize her. And that quickly I realized was not possible because for the first, I would say like month or two after diagnosis, there was so much like shock and fear that I felt like I was constantly grieving. Um, I cried a lot and I um, felt terrified and depressed and um, hopeless at times. And I felt I quickly learned that trying to keep it together in front of Nora just resulted in me being really short with her and um, angry and anxious. So I just started sort of, um, you know, letting it out in front of her and being honest with her and just saying, you know, I'm feeling sad right now, so I'm crying. 
we're safe, nothing's wrong, we're not in danger, but my heart hurts. And um, that's kind of how I approached it in front of Nora. And then in my adult self, in my non-mother self, I leaned heavily on my husband and my family. Um, You know, my sister and I are incredibly close. She's like my best friend. And I leaned heavily on her, heavily on um, my close friends. And I just had to really reach out to my village because it wasn't something that I could handle um, on my own. And a way that I process is to talk about things. So I talked to my family and my husband when I was feeling really down and feeling like I was in a really dark place. Um, And they were able to kind of you know, be there with me and validate me and help me to, you know, keep trudging forward and keep sort of working towards the end goal, which was to complete treatment. Um, I feel like I'm processing that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, So as like you were describing how you were kind of sharing with Nora, what you were feeling, whatever, I feel like you hit the nail on the head in terms of how we approach our own feelings with the tiny humans. Um, Mm -hmm. In my tiny humans, big emotions groups, I always stress that we don't want kids to feel responsible for our feelings. Right. Uh, We don't, right? Like, so there's a difference between having feelings and kids being responsible for them. Right. Right. And so I think it's awesome that you like highlighted for her, like my heart feels sad. I'm feeling sad while also letting her know it's not your fault. Right. <laughs> right? Like, and I'm not, not her responsibility. Right. Right. Yeah. To make me feel better. Yeah, right. absolutely. Um, I have, I've worked with a number of parents who end up with tiny humans who are asking things like, mommy, do you feel happy now? Or like what really mindful of your feelings if they feel responsible for them. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a really tough, like fine line to navigate. Like how do we express in front of them and have them not feel responsible for making us happy again? Yes. <clears throat> and so that's something that like I'm still it. working on with Nora. As she gets older, she like has more awareness of not that she didn't then, because she totally did, but now as a three-year-old who, like, can have a conversation with me, um, mm-hmm. this is something that I'm still, it is a fine line, and it's like, I want to be able to express my emotions in front of her, but, you know, there have been times when she's like, Mommy, why are you frustrated? And I don't ever want her to feel like her behavior is why I'm frustrated, even if, well, maybe it is, but it's right. not her. <laughs> it's not her responsibility to take care of my feelings. Um so it is, it, and it continues to sort of shift in the way that I need to approach it with her is continuing to change as she grows older and she's more aware and can articulate what she's observing and how it's making her feel. Um, totally. so yeah, I think that that's yeah, think it's kind of an, yeah, it's an ongoing thing that, I don't know, you kind of shift as they get older and the needs kind of change. Totally. Well, the cool part is that uh, research shows us that we only need to emotion coach correctly like 20% of the time to see lasting effects. I mean, uh, hey, that's such a reassuring figure. <laughs> <laughs> right? Thank goodness, because let's get real. There are so many days that I leave and I'm like, whoa, I really blew that one. Uh, oh, totally. <laughs> that <wasn't>, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the right way to respond. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that that's, that's just like good for, for families to hear who are going through hardship and grieving that like, it's okay if you don't respond the way that you would want to 100% of the time. You're not, you're not going to be in that space to do so. And, right, and that's you can't, okay. Right. You can't right. every time. And um, another thing that, um, you know, I started doing during that period, especially, and even still when I, you know, respond in a way that I shouldn't respond to her, it's a good opportunity to model um, like a heartfelt empathetic apology. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I feel like I've messed up with her, I'm, very quick to apologize and say like I'm sorry I made a mistake and um I feel like doing that you know helps her to realize like okay adults make mistakes everybody makes mistakes it's okay um there doesn't have to be shame or guilt involved um so I do sometimes feel like wow I really messed up and I feel guilty but then I'm like you know what no I'm gonna have a conversation with her about it and then we can move on together 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for me, Labine, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and meal times, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's a good modeling opportunity. Uh, so now looking at like you, I'm sure there's, you know, it doesn't end when you no. enter remission even, you know. So what does that look like for you now and, and how do you practice self-care now? Um, um, while again, also parenting. <laughs> yeah. So I actually feel like mentally, um, in a lot of ways it was harder after I finished treatment and, um, was in remission when I was in treatment, it was so physically grueling that I didn't spend a ton of time thinking about life after treatment. Um, I was really just focused on getting through it and, so it's kind of weird, but when you have cancer, it's like, okay, I have cancer. There's nothing I can do about it besides go to treatment, be as healthy as I can. And then when you get to the other side and you're like in remission, then there's this thought process of like, okay, so how do I stay here? Um, and that gets really scary. Like, it's like once you're back in remission, it's like, okay, there's more at stake here. I want to stay healthy. And so that um, sort of mental journey for me got a lot harder and I you know was feeling a lot of the very intense fear that I felt when I first got diagnosed um after I completed treatment and was in remission so now it's been nine months that I've been in remission and so those feelings are slowly starting to kind of lessen but it's definitely a challenge to deal with the um anxiety about relapsing and the also just kind of like the mental trauma that happens when you have any sort of significant life event and for me this was a medical event so um, I have a lot of trauma around going back to the doctor or having any sort of test done um, which that happens to me a lot because they're following me closely so I get blood work done a lot and I also see an integrative doctor and so she's doing a lot of labs and the focus is still very much on my health and um, it can be really stressful at times. So in order to sort of be the, the mom that I want to be, 
um, I do need to have time away from Nora and that's a big part of my self-care and my husband and my mom are really helpful in, um, you know, facilitating. I go to therapy once a week and I try to get to a yoga class and, um, exercise is a big part of, you know, keeping me mentally healthy. And so I, I reach out to my village and ask them to help me make it happen. Um, and other things that I do are like trying to limit social media and, um, you know, spend more time in the present and get outside every day. A lot of the um, the generalized self-care things like eating well and exercising and getting outside um, are great, but they can be really hard to achieve if you don't have help. Um, mm-hmm. If you feel like you're kind of drowning in trying to keep your household afloat, um, self-care kind of takes a back seat. And something that has been um, big for me, I'm very type A, and I also don't really like asking for help or receiving it. So I had to let go of um, some of the things that used to really bother me, like I have to accept that my house might not be spotless and... um, you know, I'm choosing to be present with my child or to take care of myself over making sure that my house is like looking like a magazine. Um, so it's just like little mental shifts and reframing things um, that make a big difference. I think that's huge. And I like how you highlighted how necessary it is to like learn to ask for and receive help. Yeah. Uh, I think that this is something that most parents receive or kind of experience throughout parenthood in general, right? Like I've worked with so many postpartum moms who waited, 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 and finally were like, all right, I'm at my breaking point. I need help. And um, just, you know, I I think we create that as a society, right, where we say, like, you'll know what to do. You'll be able to do this. You're their parent. Um, Right. Yeah, you're going to be the expert on them, but that doesn't mean you have to do it alone. (laughs) Right. And it's, it's, it's hard to ask for help, but then when you do, it feels really good because, not only does it allow you to kind of get the break that you need, but it sort of reaffirms like the strength of your relationships in your village. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that it's really freeing in a way to just say like, yeah, I can't do this by myself and I don't want to. Right. <laughs> right. I don't have to. Right. Um, yeah. That's, that's huge. Uh Do you, when you look back at like your journey so far, are there things that you're carrying with you that, are places of guilt for you that you're working on or on anything that you could highlight also for other parents who might be, you know, continuing to carry that with them? I, yeah, there's a lot. I still, um, you know, feel guilty about all of the time that I spent away from her. And, you know, I'm starting to work through that, but I think you know, as a parent, you feel very responsible for your child's well-being. And Nora was very well cared for while I couldn't care for her. But, you know, there's that voice in the back of your head that's like, okay, well, you should have been able to, you know, be there for that and be present with her in those moments. And I just, I physically couldn't. And um, I'm still working on sort of allowing myself to just admit like, okay, there's no way that I could have been there for her at that time. I had to go through treatment I had to get healthy for her um and then also just like the logistical parenting stuff of like how much screen time she had while I was in treatment which is way more than she had before that and way more than she's had after that um but six months is a big period in a child's life especially a young young child and so I did have a lot of guilt about the days that like I was feeling better, but like not well enough to really like get out of the house. And we would watch movies like all day long. Um, And I felt a lot of guilt and wondered like, okay, what am I doing to my child's brain? Um, You know, having us watch TV all the time. Um, And then the other times too, were like I was having an anxiety attack and I was alone with her and I was, you know, sobbing and um, really distraught and, there were no other adults around to reassure her. So, you know, my two-year-old child was watching her mother crumble and there was nobody there to be like, it's okay, Nora. Um, You know, mommy's just upset. And of course I told her that after I came out of it, but you have this, at least I do, I have this like feeling of like, okay, I need to keep it together for her. I need to be strong for her, but you can't always 
be strong. You can't always keep it together. And when you're in the trenches and you're with your child and you're taking care of them and there's nobody around to help in that moment when you're having this sort of like mental breakdown, it's kind of jarring to think like, okay, I have to, (laughs) I have to deal with this here. I have to, you know, allow myself to feel these feelings. And then I have to try to explain to my child why this is happening. Um, and there are still days where I'm incredibly overwhelmed by anxiety or I'm feeling incredibly depressed and paralyzed in, by fear. And I just have to do the best that I can to be present with her. And sometimes I have to, you know, let her play on her iPad for 15 minutes while I pull myself together. And then I can sort of like get back into it and have a fresh perspective and we can finish out our day in a positive way. But, you know, there are times definitely while I was in treatment, it was a lot of the time. And now even still, there are times that I'm overwhelmed by emotion and that makes parenting very, very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think that, you know, as listening to this, like from the emotional development side of things, I, my goal for kids is not happiness, right? My goal for kids is to be able to process whatever emotions come their way. And I think that, you know, we're not going to, we know the rate of sexual assault. We know that trauma happens to almost everybody in some form. And so what I want is to be able to prepare kids for whatever is going to come their way that they can process these emotions and and handle them. And I've I've watched you as a mom since she was in the womb and, uh, (laughs) You have been mindful of that from the very beginning. And so I know that she has the emotional foundation to be able to process these things. And that as you continue to build her emotional intelligence, she is going to be able to process what has happened, what will continue to happen throughout her life. And I think that that is the key here, right? Like if we we don't have that emotional intelligence and emotional foundation, then her experiencing something like this with you might have a different effect than if she does right. have the ability to, to process that. Right. I, you know, I worried a lot when I first got diagnosed that, you know, this would be traumatizing for her. And, um, you know, sometimes I still worry about that, but it has also been a really big opportunity for growth um, for both of us. And I think that kind of like you were saying, it's not about, sort of like keeping them happy or shielding them from emotions that we have as parents and as adults. Um, But more about sort of like being open and honest with them and um, helping them to sort of process alongside us because a lot of times as a parent, you're processing your own stuff and um, you kind of can share in an age appropriate way with your child and, I feel like that kind of helps them process the situation as well. And, you know, Nora used to get really scared when she would see me cry because she didn't see it very often. Um, And now, you know, she'll kind of come up to me if she sees me upset and she'll say like, mommy, you're crying. You're sad right now. And that's kind of Mm -hmm. all she says. And she'll sit with me and, um, you know, she doesn't seem to be as jarred by it. So I feel like in some ways there were, some benefits to um, sort of the emotional work that we did while I was in treatment and even now after. Um, I obviously wish the circumstances had been a little bit different, but, um, you know, it was an opportunity to, um, to do some emotional work and to help her become more comfortable with a wider range of emotions and not only feeling those emotions, but seeing those emotions in people around her. Absolutely, that developing of empathy, and and sometimes with some kids, I say they're empathetic to a fault, right? That they yes, really just means that they they feel responsible for yes. your feelings, right? Mm-hmm. And we see it kid to kid too. We'll see it peer to peer, um, and what we really try to do then is just normalize it, right? And right. and I think that's what you did for her, was normalizing that. So um, it, it, I was thinking of. of someone as you were saying that last piece who had turned to me uh when her mom died and you know, so she was obviously grieving and processing the death of her parents and mm-hmm. 
then was parenting a child who also was old enough at this point to have known their grandparents and would also have to grieve and process this. And yes. uh, she she said very similarly that like everyone gathered around uh, right around the time of the funeral and then they people kind of just forgot, right? Like you go on with your life and, and yes, but for the person experiencing it, that's not the case. <laughs> and, right, it continues. Uh, Exactly. And there are little markers all along that uh, where you'll just like have these feelings. And she said one thing for her that was particularly tough was the, like learning what her triggers were. So at what mm-hmm. point she would maybe have a feeling like she learned around like birthdays or holidays were, were triggers. But there were other little things that she started to learn like, oh, that reminds me of my mom and I'm going to have a feeling if we're doing this. Right. Um, and and how to how to be able to explain that to the tiny human who is like, hey, we were playing at the beach and everything was fine, and now you're crying, right? Like, right. what's going on? Yes, because it sometimes uh, feels like it comes out of left field. Yeah, and right. it hits you, and then you're back in it. Right. And I I told her I was like, you know what? I would just be there, like experience it when you're in it, and then once you figure out like that that was a trigger for you, I would be honest with them. Like, oh, yeah. I saw this thing. It reminded me of Nana. And I, it made me feel sad that I don't get to see her anymore or whatever. Like explaining that piece to them so that they just know, like, it wasn't something you did, right? Like right. that's what we need to, like, be mindful of through all of this is just that, like, their first thought is, like, did I do something wrong? <laughs> right, and exactly. Being able to highlight that for them. Uh, yeah. Uh, are there things that you've found now? You said yoga and, and exercise and going to therapy. Are there any like resources outside of that that you found that have been particularly helpful that you would recommend? Um, yeah. So one thing that has been really helpful is, um, and I found this online because local to me, my cancer is rare. So um, there's not mm-hmm. a lot of people local to me. Um, and you know, at, when I would go to treatment, you know, most of the people would be um, much older than me. And so I didn't feel like I connected with a lot of them and um, I felt isolated by my situation. And that's not, you know, that's not specific to cancer. Any sort of traumatic um, life event can feel really isolating. And so one thing that was really helpful for me was finding um, other young moms online, like through Instagram or like online support groups, finding other young moms with children my age, with my diagnosis, um, and even my stage of cancer, because um, Hodgkin's has a good prognosis pretty much across the board, but obviously if you're stage four, your prognosis is not quite as good as somebody who's stage one or two. So um, sort of finding young moms who were dealing with the exact same situation as I was having the same treatment. I even found one mom who um, was having treatment. She was one week behind me in treatment. So it was like we were living the same, the same exact reality. And um, I still talk to her on a regular basis. And um, that has been huge for me. Um, Having somebody who really understands what's going on because my family and my husband were amazing support to me, but, and while they were um, experiencing the situation in their own way, it wasn't the way that I was experiencing it. Um, so to find somebody who could really relate to how I was feeling um, was a huge part of my mental health during treatment and even after. Because now if I'm like, oh my gosh, I, you know, my leg is itchy and itchiness was one of my symptoms. I will, you know, text my friend. Her name is Vicky, and I just will say, like, I'm really freaking out right now because my leg's itchy and I'm freaking out about relapse or whatever. And she's there to be like, yeah, I know exactly how you feel. You know, it's going to be okay, but it's okay to be scared. I'm scared too. It's normal. And so just having that, having somebody who 100% gets it has been huge for me. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, 
a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. How did you find people? Like, how did you, I know you said Instagram, but did you just like look up hashtags? Like, how did that yes. work? Yes. So, yes, hashtags are big. And actually, she found me, but I found other people too. Like, I follow tons of young women who either have Hodgkins or had Hodgkins. Um, if you, I started hashtagging my posts and I also started searching the hashtag. And so, I reached out to women. Women reached out to me. People will still reach out to me. Um, they'll find my Instagram and they will um, like direct message me and be like, I just got diagnosed with Hodgkins. I'm freaking out. And, um, you know, that was me. I was messaging people last year saying, hey, I just got diagnosed with Hodgkins. I'm freaking out. So things kind of come full circle and it's nice to receive the support, but it's also nice to give the support. Um, sometimes that feels just as good as receiving it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I did that. And there are also Facebook support groups like you can search on Facebook, whatever your situation is, um, miscarriage, grieving, um, like a family member that you've lost, dealing with addiction in yourself or in a family member or whatever it might be. Um, there are groups for pretty much everything. <laughs> There's a group for it. <laughs> There's a group for it. Um, and that was, you know, really huge for me. And of course, it's kind of a double-edged sword because when you do connect with people who are experiencing the same thing, like some people's outcomes or situations are different and they're harder. And, you know, I've seen women who I've connected with online relapse and that can be a trigger, Um, not only for fear of relapsing, but also survivor's guilt and a whole bunch of other really complex emotions that come along with any sort of emotional trauma. And so that's something to be mindful of too. Like in these support groups, when you connect with people, there's this great feeling of community and like, okay, this person gets me, but then there's also like, you really care about the outcome for this person. And all of that is really variable. Yeah. No, that was my next question was like, how do you find the balance between supporting people and not feeling constantly triggered by like living in that, in that space or those reminders? Yeah. um, It's definitely triggering. Um, but it's also like, I don't know, for me, I'm thinking about the cancer a lot anyway. Nine months is really a short period um, in yeah. the scheme of things. I feel like I just finished treatment. Um, so I'm still really in the thick of it and thinking about cancer every day and thinking about relapse a lot. And um, so while it is triggering, it's like, you know, I'm still kind of in that mental space anyway. So um, to me, the connection sort of outweighs the um, uh-huh. the triggering effects of, you know, being in daily conversation with people who are either going through treatment or have gone through treatment. Yeah, I think that that's, a, that's probably a piece to be mindful of. I know my own, like, traumas, like, there are things that, times where I love to support people, and then it gets to a point sometimes for me where I have to say, like, ooh, I'm noticing I'm feeling super triggered lately, and I need to pause, right? Like, I need yes. to step back from from that, and 
think it's good to be mindful of throughout the journey because you're right, supporting yeah. other people in it feels so good. Um, and but it, it's hard. <laughs> no, it's definitely hard. There are definitely times that I step back and sometimes like I don't even see that I'm struggling, but my Cody will be like, you know, you might need to take a break from, you know, reading about all these women with Hodgkin's and, you know, take a break from thinking about cancer for a couple of hours, maybe a day. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, there is definitely a balance. And I think just self-awareness is a big piece of that and just knowing like, okay, you know what, I need to step back for a little while and I can get back at it. But right now I need a break. Yeah, it's huge. It's one of our steps of emotional development, self-awareness. Yes, yeah. and it's something that I, I think is really hard sometimes. Oh, for sure. Especially when you're in it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's so nice to have that village that can point those things out to you. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. So what do you, I guess the, the last thing I'd like to address is like, what are you seeing now from Nora? Now that you're out of treatment and all that jazz, um, I know you said you still will have um, like the mental game to to, to work through and anxiety attacks can still occur. What are you seeing like behaviorally from her? Has your relationship changed throughout this? Yes, it has changed um, in a positive way. I, um, I mean, I've always absolutely adored my child, but um, <laughs> there's also now this like measure of pride that I didn't necessarily have before. Like, seeing how resilient she is and um like I said we had some behavioral challenges during treatment but like obviously that's going to happen there were huge transitions that happened Mm -hmm. but like I don't know I just feel like she's such a little champ and she um dealt with it so well and she still does like I still go to the doctor all the time and all those situations are triggering for me and so I'm really in a heightened emotional state and she just really amazes me not only with her empathy but also just like her resilience and um one of the things that has been really incredible is, <clears throat> like I said, I was still breastfeeding when I got diagnosed, so I was still like primary caretaker. But since I've been in treatment, and even now, because I still like need more sleep than I did before treatment, and um, I need more support. And Cody has taken such an active role. He's always been a really active, involved father. But um, you know, when I was breastfeeding, I was just physically a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. sort of needed by her at that time and so he's taken on this like role and seeing their relationship blossom has been really incredible I can honestly say that she doesn't prefer one of us to the other at this point Um, so it's just that's been amazing to watch and she's just a totally normal three-year-old she's super challenging she's super fun Um, she is has a lot of big emotions. Um, we're still having behavioral challenges, not because of any life events, but just because she's three. <laughs> she's three. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, we're kind of learning to navigate as we go. Or She's our first child, our only child. And, um, you know, you do a lot of reading and you reach out to your village and I reach out to you a lot. But then there's just like, okay, I'm in it. I'm here right now. What am I going to do? <laughs> How am I going to get through mm-hmm. this situation? Um but yeah, she's really thriving. She is um, a very active, happy little girl. She's hilarious. She is hilarious. Often she'll say to me, because sometimes if I, if something's going on, like if we're having a meal or if she's getting dressed, I'll lay out a couple of options and be like, these are your choices. Um, and so she'll say that to me now. She'll say like, we can go to the beach or the library. Those are your choices. Um, and I just have to laugh because she's such a mirror and so that is like something I'm proud of I'm like oh good she's like understanding what I'm saying to her and then there are other things that she mirrors back and says to me that I'm like oh yikes not proud of that (laughs) I'm gonna gonna have to work on that um but yeah she's she's super fun and really hard right now and there are definitely days that I'm like wow she's a teenager and I have no idea what I'm doing and then there are other days that I'm like, wow, today was so fun, and she's so smart and conversational, and this is the best. So I just think, like, we're sort of, I'm still dealing with cancer trauma, but for all, you know, intents and purposes, I feel like we're back into just, like, the normal parenting trenches, which are a total roller coaster, but they're fun. Good. That's awesome. That's so good to hear. 
Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being so vulnerable. I know this topic. I mean, I cried a few times. I'm sure you have had tears on your end. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. It's such a deep, vulnerable place to be. And I'm so grateful to you for for highlighting this and and chatting it out with me. Uh, I mean, I could literally talk to you. We we do. We sit and talk for a week every week. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, I, I could do this forever. But thank you so, so much. It was so important, I think, for parents to be able to have this as a resource and to know, uh, you know, that when we when we don't do it the way that we used to or the way that we intended to, that that's okay. And yes, uh, there isn't one right way or one right path. And our kiddos are gonna are gonna bounce back and and learn from it. Where can people connect with you um, online if they'd like to, you know, whether they're going through some, yes. something similar or any of that yet? Yes. Um, yeah, I think Facebook and Instagram are really good, and um, I'm always, always happy to talk with other parents who are trying to cope with something and feeling challenged and just needing to not feel alone. Thanks, Rach. I will also say, like, your Instagram uh, is is straight fire. Between, like, the posts about Nora, which are typically hilarious, or um, I feel like I've learned, like, so many healthy recipes. I mean, especially as you went through your, like, cancer journey, like, you're you're a very healthy, mindful eater. But I'm like, oh, I can just sub this thing out. You made, like, a milkshake yesterday, and it was, like, a healthy milkshake. Oh, my gosh. It was so good. That was hitting the spot. Oh, it's so it's so helpful. I feel like I've gotten a bunch of hot tips from you. So yes, I, food. It's basically I would food recommend and Nora. Your Instagram. So if people if people are interested in paleo food and a three year old, I'm your girl. <laughs> True. Uh, I'm in. And right, the, the awesome. occasional really intense cancer post, but those are those are way less frequent than they used to be. So. It's fair. It's it's real, man. It's honest. I appreciate it. It's real. It. Yeah, it's my life. So it's your life. Well, thanks, Rach. Thank you so much for for hanging out with us and connecting. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.seedandso.org/podcast. If you love the show, take two minutes to leave a review and spread the love. Thanks for joining our village. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.